General Planning Podcast takes you backstage and explores the world of planning and strategy development. We will get you into the minds of successful leaders and executives in our government and industry and hear firsthand how they made some of America's most historic decisions. I'm your host, Mark Lavin, the Director of Strategy, Plans, and Policy at Army North. And I'm here with Seth Barham, the Public Affairs Operations Chief. Join us as we learn about planning and strategy from our nation's best. Welcome back to this episode of the General Planning Podcast, uh, U.S. Army North's uh, podcast network. Uh, today we have a very special guest uh, in studio with us. Of course, I'm Sergeant First Class Seth Barham, uh, but we are honored to have the senior enlisted leader of U.S. Army North and Fifth Army, as well as Fort Sam Houston and Camp Bullis, Command Sergeant Major Jeremiah Gann. Welcome, Sergeant Major Gann. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. It's awesome to be here, and it's awesome to be able to participate in such a such a event. Yeah, it's groundbreaking. I mean, we're, we're trying to, to get our name out there. Um, the podcast, uh, it's in its infi- infantile stages, but we wanted to have you. Um, something we should mention is you're our first uh, senior enlisted leader, first enlisted personnel on the podcast at all. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, Army North does so much across the across the nation that, that it's really good to get the word out there on what, not only what we're doing, but the people then that are inside the organization that are making it happen every day. So this is phenomenal. Well, again, we appreciate uh, you coming on, Sergeant Major, and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Well, why don't you just go ahead and um, you know, you're originally from, uh, I want to say it right, because I've heard you say it, and I know people say it wrong, but Missouri. I am from Missouri. That is correct. So most of the times those that are from Missouri will say it that way, and uh, it's an easy way for us to tell who's truly from and what part of Missouri you may happen to be from. So, uh, yeah, I am from Missouri, and it, uh, I, I say it Missouri. That is correct. Okay, well, it just shows that I pay attention. I'm from the Northeast, so I'm a, I'm a Yankee up there, but um, please don't hold it against me. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about your upbringing in Missouri and uh, what led you to join the, the Army? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from a very small community there in Missouri, you know, just, just over 1,000 people. I think when I graduated high school, it actually was sub-1,000. So we've grown a little bit. I think we gained about 200 people in the last 30 years or so. Um, but uh, small community, um, very Big on family values, sports. Uh, you know, it's the same kids you graduated high school with, you started kindergarten with. So it's very tight, well woven and knitted community. Um, and then that was kind of my background. So from the ranching, farming side of the house, uh, raising cattle, uh, you know, hay fields, corn. That's kind of kind of our background. So hard work, um, good social environment, and good strong team environment. Um, and, and really, when I graduated high school, that's kind of what I was striving for and looking for. My father was a career uh, soldier, so it kind of helped a little bit. Uh, he being a retired Sergeant Major, he didn't force me. He didn't push me. Um, he, he basically said, you know, it's an option to look at it. Um, and that's what I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I joined the Army for four years, like I think most people did. And uh, about two years into it, I, I was absolutely in love. Head over heels, uh, it's exactly what I thrived for. It had that team environment, that family cohesiveness, um, and it really provided for my family on a level that couldn't, you know, your typical job straight out of high school couldn't do. Oh, absolutely. What did your, um, I didn't know that your uh, your father was a retired Sergeant Major. Yeah, so my family's very uh, military-oriented, I guess you could say. My dad's a retired Sergeant Major, uh, very well-to-do to his own right, uh, and then, then follow on retired civil service. And I've got a brother, it's a CW3, he's a Black Hawk pilot. i got a brother, it's a first Sergeant in the Guard. Uh, my son's 
uh, following in my footsteps and married a, a combat arms female. So very much intertwined in the military, and uh, and and it's 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 a big value to us uh, as a family cohort. And there's several across the army that are that way. Um, and and I don't believe it's a family business, although it is a family business. So we're constantly bringing in those first generation soldiers. Uh, but I think that touch point in in, in maintaining and seeing the value that you grew up in um, and, and being a part of that because you see the value, I think is, is something that's not, sh- should not be dismayed, but should be really cultivated as well. Absolutely. It's an opportunity there. We're Absolutely. Seek it. Now I know why you get along so well with, um, with general Evans. The, the I get along case. very well with general Evans. Yes. He's phenomenal to work with. Uh, and I, I'm a two time offender with general Evans. So it's been awesome. <laughs> um, so let's talk 1997 versus today. So wow, you, you're taking me back in time. <laughs> we, we are. We are, but you, you talked about the um, the you know your, your father being a career soldier and it's a family business. But um, you enlisted and you, you wanted to get that sense of camaraderie, um, looking for that four year contract. What would it take an eighteen year old Jeremiah Gann, if you were eighteen today, to enlist? And what um, what are the things you'd be looking for? Would it be a bonus? Would it be some some of the same things you looked for in nineteen ninety seven, or would it be different? No, I think it would be the same. Um, it's just the ability for us to be able to really explain that, right? So uh, I think that's one of the hurdles um, is can the Army move at the speed of technology on actually getting our word out there and telling people what we're doing and the value that's there. I mean, I mean, take our pay chart, for instance, right? We, we talk about base pay, but we don't talk about the medical benefits and added, and added to the base pay. We don't talk about the, the BAS opportunities, the dental benefits, the family benefits that come with that. Uh, there's there's so many the BAH and the housing and all of these other things that we could actually capture in a snapshot for base pay and, and to be honest with you there's no other organization that could even rival that let alone compete with it when you start looking at the amount of days that you get to be able to take leave a year that's paid vacation for the most part um, I think we compete very well with with industry if we're able to explain that to the individuals that are making that decision between the army or industry. Yeah. And security of uh, employment too. Absolutely. I mean, the security's there. I mean, it really is. And the, the most phenomenal thing about the United States army is you, you can show up with no skill set. We're going to give it to you. And there is a plethora of, of opportunities and, 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 and disciplines within the army that can take you to levels that you maybe have only dreamed about or thought were impossible uh, from a civilian perspective. No, that's, ex- that's exactly right. Um, we're, we want to talk eras again. We talked about 1997 and going back. Um, do us a favor and uh, describe the differences in today's newly enlisted trainees. I know you were the um, the uh, command sergeant major senior enlisted leader of Fort Jackson, so you've seen it um, firsthand. Uh, today's newly enlisted trainees and soldiers versus 1997 or even prior to that. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I graduated high school in 97, you understand that technology was uh, um, a very small blip on the radar at that time and right so i mean dial up was a thing but you had to pay for that service it was extremely ludicrous to kind of get into um everybody carried pagers back then right i mean that's that's how we communicated uh t9 texting because app phones didn't exist and then i kind of lived that through through that 18 to 25 year old era of technology change, changing at the, at the at the speed of light almost and getting to the where we're at today so when I look at that, um, and the young individuals then, I mean, you watched what was happening in the world on the TV. That's how you got your information. I mean, you got three channels on, and, and if the president was on, that's pretty much what you were watching. 
that's from the rural area that I was from to today where information is at the touch of a fingertip, right? I mean, it's so I would say that the kids today, the youth of America today is more informed um, and, and I, I, I would argue more, I guess, intellectual capable than what we were back then. We thought of things in a very small box. It was a box of where you were from. And it's also why our recruiting model is changing. It has to. It's got to change with society's norms. Um, now information is a touch, touch, touch of fingertips. So I would say the difference between youth of 1997 and the youth of, let's say, 2027 is going to be these, the, the, their level of capabilities and understanding of the technology and where we're at. I mean, they can see everything with the touch of a finger. Back then, I couldn't. I had to go to the library to pull an encyclopedia to write a book report, right? Now they got these AIs and everything else that's involved that can really help them in this process. It's phenomenal. I mean, it really is. I mean, so I would say kids today are smarter than what we were back mm-hmm. then. Um, Baber to grasp much quicker. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the approach the Army's looking at and what we're starting to take, and there's, there's, no, there's no bad thing there. Um, it's awesome. It's phenomenal. I think the biggest thing is, 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 is if we have anything, and I think society has the problem, it's the ability to communicate across generational gaps, right? So that, that's, that can be complex. Um, you take the, the boomer generation, which, you know, they don't understand all the apps, uh, the capabilities and processes, to Gen X, like myself, that, that kind of is in the middle in between, and you get the, the Gen Z and soon Gen A that are, that are fully capable of not beyond capable to understand and utilize to their benefit all these technological resources that are out there. It's hard, it's hard to keep uh, kids and, and even adults' attention now, though. It's crazy. When I, when I grew up and my dad would drop me off at the basketball gym, to go play basketball for an hour or two or whatever, I'd have to find a pay phone to get picked up. And now kids can order the ride on their phone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and I, I, I argue to the point that, I mean, yeah, their attention span is less, right? If you're trying to teach them, then it's not something that they're desiring to go find themselves. So it's about eight seconds or three clicks, I think is what the Rand Institute said here recently. That's, that's kind of their intention, their, their attention span. But here's my thing is, are you giving the right man the right a message if you've got to fight for their attention. And if, the, the, if you've got to fight for their attention because of the message, then, you, then the message is not molded the right way. Now, I don't know the answer to that or what it should be, how it should be molded, but it's got to be molded in a, in a way that gets their attention and that's desirable for them to keep clicking, if you will, to keep digging into that information. And, and I think it's capable, we're capable of doing that. And it's, it's just finding that right mode of, or, or modality with the information to get to where we want to be, to be able to really get our message out there. That makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought of it like that, but I, I appreciate that insight, Sergeant Major. Um, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. We'll yeah, talk absolutely. Army schools, if you don't mind. Okay. <clears throat> so your Army schools list, your bio, reads a lot like a CVS uh, receipt. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot to take in, and you've attended a lot of schools, Ranger, Sapper. Um, so what is your favorite Army school, or what was your favorite Army school? And you could be like Tom Brady and say the next one. Uh, but what is your favorite Army school you attended and why? Um, I, I would I would have to answer that question based off of, of what I was trying to achieve before I went to that school. Um, each each school brings their own component of desirability, right? And it's 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 you've got to go to the school for the right reason. Are you if you're going to the school because you're trying to gain a capability that's going to make you better at a task or a job or a leadership position, 
or that's the right reason to go. If you're going simply to to add to a CVS receipt, then that is absolutely the wrong reason to go. Um, so I would say, based off of what I was trying to achieve, yeah, there's, they're, they're kind of all in different buckets at that point. Um, I'm an engineer by trade, right? So my heart bleeds red, and, and by all means, and not figuratively. Um, so I would have to say Sapper School, but above and foremost is is the where my heart is. I, I ran the course for for a, a couple of years. Uh, um, I was I had a big part in the design of the course, so I would say first and foremost Sapper. But every one of them bring a different component um, that was required for a skill set and why I attended. Oh, that makes sense. I have a question just to go back. So your dad was a sergeant major. Was he an engineer as well? He was not, actually. So my dad was a logistician. He was an 88 Mike um, and uh, very, very well to his own right. And uh, he actually gave me a hard time when I when I chose a, more of a combat engineer route to, to join the military. Um, but it's what I wanted to do, and he supported that 100%. Um, but, you know, his his standpoint was, I don't understand what you're doing. He said, I'd much rather haul the shovel than use it. So I don't, I don't know what you <laughs> want to do there, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of his standpoint, but he was in full support and he has been for everybody and what they've done. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I didn't mean to, to screw up your momentum there. Um, something of note that came, it's a unique school uh, and uh, you attended it, the mountain warfare school. Um, can you describe how it went for you and, um, and the uses for someone who might want to go to that school? Oh, absolutely. So I went to a mountain warfare school, uh, I believe it was a staff sergeant when I went, um, and it was uh, back then under the legacy of ERAT, Engineer Reconnaissance Consultant Attack Team. So it was, I moved a lot of, with DIRT teams back in the day uh, with the scouts attached to LRSD and whatnot. That's kind of how my my niche was, finding the deep obstacle threat and neutralizing it before the maneuver force got there. So that's kind of the reason why I went to the course. I went with uh, some some kids from Ranger Regiment at the time. Um, I kind of used one of their slots to get there. And uh, I will tell you this about Mount Warfare School. Probably one, one it's ran by National Guard. Uh, it's, it's a fully funded and ran by the National Guard course, which has some of the most phenomenal instructors that I've ever had the privilege of, of getting instructed by uh, in all of my military schools. Uh, the, the environment to their level of knowledge. I mean, they've got like four or five instructors that's climbed the seven highest peaks in the world. I mean, these are phenomenal instructors. Um, and, and, and to your point, it's, it's, it's a course that not a lot of people know a lot about. Um, it's a demanding, physically demanding and intellectually demanding course, but it's not one where they beat that drum. Um, I mean, it's very clear. Here's our expectations. This is what the requirements are. Uh, this is the gates you got to meet. And it's it's an environment where learning is very conducive. And I, I enjoyed the course. It was phenomenal. It's in Vermont, correct? It is. It's Vermont, in, yeah. uh, Camp Jericho, Vermont. Um, uh, going all the way up to Smuggler's Notch. I mean, it is phenomenal. It's a phenomenal course. The uh, we, we sent a lot of, um, of our soldiers from 10th Mountain to go over to the course, so it made sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you talked about physically demanding course. So that leads right into my next question. Okay. Uh, let's talk ACFT. Everyone's, um, you know, hyping it up on, on social media, or at least they did when it was rolled out, ACFT versus APFT. Now we have rumblings that the APFT may come back. Um, what do you see as the advantages and disadvantage for each, uh, in your own words? And I'll follow up to that. Absolutely. So, I, you know, so the ACFT, one's got to, one, understand why. I mean, the, the, the it wasn't to make things harder on the soldiers. And arguably the ACFT is based off of your, your gender or your age, is, is easier than the APFT. Um, it requires more of a, a, a total multi-fitness, multi-function type uh, workouts. It, it requires more of a, an agility and flexibility type workouts, which is a good thing. But why did we change? And that's what most people don't understand. But we changed for the, the long-term enduring effect of physical fitness. 
we were tired of having these 20, 30-year soldiers that were broke. We were breaking them. We, we, we wasn't training flexibility and, and agi- agility and all these other things uh, to make somebody with lean muscle mass that was capable of, of doing their profession, not just push-ups, sit-ups, and run a two-mile. You show somebody that could score a 300 on the old APFT, and I'll show you somebody that's not an athlete. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you could train for the test, but yet not be physically fit enough to perform at a full capability of your profession. Sure. So this is really a, 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 an adjustment to that. Uh, do I think the ACFT is going to go away? No, I don't. That is that is my opinion. I can't uh, decide for the powers that be, but the, I think the ACFT is here to stay, um, and and I hope it is here to stay. I really do. I think it's the step in the right direction, and I think over time, over time, that'll be adjusted, just much like the APFT was. It'll be adjusted to really scope into those those genders and age specific categories to make sure that we're hitting the right buttons to the right level of difficulty or, or physical fitness requirement. No, I think it's a great answer. And I uh, think of it this way. When, when I when I talk to people after they've taken the ACFT, they said, well, I have to train in such a different way that I hadn't had to before. Uh, but it's almost it's that H2F model where you're, you're training in full spectrum of exercises rather than just the push-up, sit-ups, and two-mile runs. So it makes total We got to get out of the mindset of uh, the, the gray beard mindset, I call it, of, of don't go to the gym or, or you've got to do this or you got to do that type approach to physical fitness, right? I mean, can, can you grab a, a, a kettlebell and carry it for a mile? I mean, can you, can you, you know, do a, a, a wide barrage of, of a HET workout inside a gymnasium utilizing Nautilus equipment? The answer to that should be yes. Mm-hmm that we've got to give the capabilities to the junior non-commissioned officer to be able to say, this is what I need to do to get after this problem set to ensure success by my subordinates. And it's, it's really empowering those junior leaders through mission command and other modules to say, hey, this is your requirement. And, and let him or her get after what needs to be done in order to get their subordinates where they need to be. Leave it up to those junior leaders. And you're teeing it right up for me, Sergeant Major, because uh, next I want to talk uh, developing soldiers and leaders. Um, so what are your tenets with Sergeant Major Gann like to, to instill in, um, in his leaders, his soldiers, um, and it could be at the tactical, operational, strategic level that we're at. Um, what are your tenets? Oh, man. So, so you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I, I believe there's a, there's a process in communicating across generational gaps, right? So, it's, for instance, at my level, sitting at the three-star level, I can transmit information. But it takes that subordinate leader to be able to translate and then retransmit that information. Um, And they've got to understand that um, at the end user, down to the soldier level, what does that look like and what are they hearing? Because if you're simply just transmitting, but you're not taking that process and taking that, 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 that extra step to translate the information that you're transmitting, then you're, then you're not of value at that point. I, they could listen to this podcast, for instance, right? I could just have a formation and give out the information. The fact of the matter is, is from a subordinate leader's perspective, they got to be involved and they've got to be linked at the, the hip in, in that process. They got to be able to receive, translate, and then retransmit the information and then own it. Um, and, and really, from my foxhole, right? So that if you're talking about when it comes to a leader's perspective, you can't give them the right answer. You can only coach them in the right direction. They've got to be able to find that right answer themselves uh, which ultimately will make them more effective and again that is mission command I mean it really is here's my vision this is what I need to make happen 
you know, raise the flag. I don't care how you do it. Just get the flag up. It's it's kind of allowing that freedom of maneuver and, and, and movement in order to get the mission done in the ways they know that they are capable and that need to happen in order to do it. I think that uh, far too often we try to keep too much of a pulse check, uh, which it just falters and it doesn't get the desired effect. And, and then there's that component of why. Oftentimes, when in an order, you, you don't see the why, right? You don't see the, well, this is why I want you to do this. It's just, it's just, it just says do it. Uh, but having that, um, that level of, of, of intelligence at the subordinate leader level to say, okay, I understand why, and now I own it, and I can explain the why in the process, uh, it's powerful. Or, or even with, I would argue too, or even maybe withholding the why. Uh, because it might be better for that junior leader, that junior soldier, not to know at that moment to get to get the mission done. Absolutely. I mean, there are, and we can what if, what if at the death, right? So um, there are situations and, and, and disciplines. It depends on what your profession is. I don't need somebody to ask me why I said go on a multiple team, multiple room building clearance, right? If I say go, it's it's go time. It's there's no there's no why, but hopefully that's done well ahead of time. But again, that's part of the process, right? And then and trusting your leaders and building that trust. So what Absolutely. I heard was you were talking uh, communication is critical. Communication is the reason for failure. Period. I'm a firm believer in that. If you've heard me before, you've you've been in any forums I've been in. Lack of communication or a miscommunication uh, is is failure. It, it really is. Take joint basing, right? So I'm in the mecca of joint basing here at Joint Base San Antonio. I could give a a, a direction of secure the building. Well, that, that means several th- different things depending on what service you're from. Uh, to the Army, it means kick in the front door, put a sniper on the roof, man the windows, and wait for follow-on instructions. Um, for the Air Force, it means take out a six-month lease with option to buy. But <laughs> Lock the neither doors. one of them, neither one of them violated the, the, the directive of, of secure the building. But there's that lack of communication and understanding that's in between, right? So it's, it's really, it, it, I would say... What is that five point? What is that? What did I say? What does it mean to you? What are you going to do? And having that open dialogue and not going off of assumption because that's a lack of communication. And I think communication is powerful across the spectrum. I would agree. Clarity and communication. Thank you for that, Sergeant Major. Um, so I'll move in and I'll switch it up a little bit. So we, we talk uh, modernization, one of the uh, Army, big Army's priorities. Absolutely. Um, so artificial intelligence. Now, admittedly, I'm, I'm, a little ignorant on it. Uh, I mean, I know what it is. I hear a lot of people talking about it, but uses for the army, uses for me as personally as Seth Barham, I'm not really sure what it means for me moving forward, but what are your thoughts overall on AI and how do you think the army can use it to modernize a force, if at all? So I'm not that guy, um, <laughs> but I will say this. Technology is a weapon. It is a tool set and a weapon. It is just as beneficial as it can be damaging. Um, and the right people need to know how to use the right weapons. And I, I think the Army's well on with the Futures Command. Sergeant Major Hester and his team up there at Futures Command uh, with General Rainey. I think they're, they're, they're making that move in the right direction. I know that up there at the CAC with the Combined Arms Center, General Beagle and Sergeant Major Helton, they are moving in the right direction on how to utilize that and putting it into doctrine. Um, it's here to stay. I mean, you can't dismiss it, right? You can't look at artificial intelligence and advancements in technology and say, yeah, we're not going to do that. You can't be left on the porch when somebody's running a race. It just can't happen that way. we got to be involved, and we got to figure out how to use that to the benefit of the United States Army and ultimately the United States of America. And how does that look, right? And it's, and it's communicating not just with the Army. That's across all components and, and, and all services. And really, how does that? what does that look like? And, again, we can't even begin to comprehend the capabilities of that approach. 
I, I, I can't comment on it from that aspect, but other than to say it's it's not going away. And, and it's better to understand and utilize than to not understand and hope it doesn't happen to you type type approach. I hope is a is a terrible approach to anything. So it's um, I think it's here to stay. I think it will be intertwined. I think the generations that join the service for for the, for the next couple of generations are really going to be powerhouse players in that uh, in that realm and aspects. Um, but I mean, really, it's limitless. Uh, it's, it's it's really limitless and what the capabilities will be in the future. Yeah, it's almost whether we like it or not, it's here to stay. And if, if we don't use it, the enemy's going to use it against us. Yeah, absolutely right. So, and, and to what avail, I don't know. Right. Okay. So yeah, it's hard to comment on that. No, that's fair. I, I like the answer. I appreciate it, Sergeant Major. Um, we'll switch to um, to life outside the army. So you're a um, self described outdoorsman. I am. Yes. Um, so you have hobbies outside the army. Um, why is it so important for soldiers to have hobbies, friends, interests outside the army? It could be video games, could be having a boyfriend or girlfriend, but taking time um, away from the army when you're not at work to enjoy that time. Oh, absolutely. So, so I, you know, I like to think that the army's kept me in pretty good shape, right? Um, I'm healthy, uh, and, and I still don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the realm I'm at. All right, I hit 26 years in the military just a few days ago, and and, and I, I was talking to my wife. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. But there's so many things that I love to do. The Army's made it capable for me to do. I love to hunt. I love to fish. Uh, I love to make my own bourbon. I, I distill. I got honeybees. Um, I got the cattle the back home, you know, in Hayseys. And uh, I love to do construction. I'm an engineer by trade. There's so many things that I want to do that – when I retire from the military is not only going to be capable, but plausible. Um, and I do think it's important to, that when you take that uniform off, that you've got that individuality, that's something that you love to do and just get out there and be passionate about. And the army really facilitates that capability. There's not a lot of professions out there where, you know, one, you get 30 paid days leave that you can go on a hunting excursion or a cruise or head to the beach or, or really just get away and walk away and not worry about, you know, being docked severely for it. I mean, it's, that, that's, that's an entitlement that the United States Army is going to give you. And if you manage it appropriately, man, it really, it really lays out capabilities of what you're allowed to do um, in your own right that, you, that you're passionate about. So, yeah, I, lo- I got a lot of stuff out there, a lot of things I love to do. I, I'm, a, I'm a handsy guy. I like to use my hands and get in the dirt and, and build things, and, and I love livestock and, and, and hunting and fishing. And, and uh, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. Sounds like you <laughs> might be busier when you retire than you are now. Sorry, I, I hope I am. I really <laughs> hope I am. Um, I, I, and, 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 you know, my spouse, she, she's right there by my side every step of the way. Um, and, and we constantly talk about, you know, what's, what does life after the army look like, you know, and I'm not ready to retire, not anytime soon. I'm still having fun. Um, and, and really, you know, I love being a part of this family. It's hard to walk away from it when that time does come. It's good. It's exciting to think about, but that's a future you problem. Oh yeah, absolutely. Figure out what you're going to do. hundred percent. Um, so we'll, we'll switch back, um, uh, more so focus on the army. You just recently, um, actually this month, uh, or in July, um, you went to the nominative uh, Sergeant's uh, Major Solutions Summit in D.C. Yes. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what went on there and um, what you learned and what, what you brought back to this organization from that? Yeah, absolutely. So the summit is where the SMA has a chance to kind of bring all the, the senior non-commissioned officers from across the force to one location. And, and really, they, they solve problem sets for the United States Army. That's, that's the purpose of the summit. Um, it's facilitated by the SMA. This year we had a kind of a benefit, right? We had the outgoing SMA Grimston and then the incoming SMA um, Weimer. So they were both present. 
Uh, we got to talk to the chief and hear from the chief firsthand from the Secretary of the Army and kind of her standpoint on things firsthand. Got a chance to socialize and, and collaborate with one another. We all got taped under the new Army one-tape system. Um, but really to, to look at a hard problem sets across all compos from every discipline from a nominative sergeant major perspective, uh, all two and three, four-star sergeant majors were present, and a, and a lot of the one-star sergeant majors from the schoolhouses and whatnot were present as well. And really, not only to to um, put a face with a name, but also to really get after some really, really tough problem sets uh, for the United States Army to kind of say, okay, where does we need to make this asthma check? What's a new course direction or a new approach that we need to, to really look at? And to be honest with you, um, the way the SMA approaches this, we had we started addressing that about six months out. I mean, hard. I mean, it's it's continual working group for over a year, but six months out is a delve into a, a deep dive into a specific. You're assigned to a team. This is a specific problem set, and you're going to work it for about six to eight months coming up to the summit. And at the summit, really, hey, this is this is it, right? This is truth in lending. This is what the best approach is that we think needs to happen. We hear from all the, the senior enlisted leaders across the, all the four-star level um, uh, senior enlisted leaders, and we vote, and, and we decide whether or not we're going to bring that forward. Now, from there, those uh, um, approaches and ideas are taken from the SMA, of course, up to Army level. Some of it may, most of it, or if not all of it, takes senior Army level approval, but some of it takes multi-service approval and then uh, even congressional mandate will get approved. So a lot of that stuff's not ready for prime time or to be thrown out on the street. So you're not going to get that from me today. Um, but uh, I will say that the Army's in a good spot and it's got some great leaders that really care and understand where the Army's going. And uh, man, what I would give to be an Army, uh, you know, somebody who joined the Army in 2023. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you because the direction it's going is phenomenal. That's cool. I'm being a um, more of a junior leader than than yourself, Sergeant Major. Is we some of us think that you guys go to these summits and it's just uh, you're there for a couple of days. That's the first time you hear the issue. So it's great to hear you hear them six to eight months out, and you guys are already working on them. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, so um, for instance, the group I was assigned to was um, lethality and cohesive teams. So, so really, how are we approaching those problem sets the right way? Um, and and I worked it. I was I got the honor to be underneath Sergeant Major Burzak, um, and and from out there in the Pacific to really kind of help guide this train. And, and Sergeant Major Jeremiah Inman from out there used to raft. So we had a great team uh, built up of core Sergeant Majors, Division Sergeant Majors. I mean, it, we really from every perspective because it takes different perspectives to get to as close as you can to the right answer uh, i'm a firm believer there's no perfect answer but you can get you can do every day better right and constantly fine-tune that craft to, to, to where we are not building an airplane in flight we're, we're getting the best test flights we can before we get off the ground so i think it's the best the best approach i like that sergeant major yeah if you get 10 engineers sergeants major in a, in a room they're probably going to think uh, more or less the same way but if you get different people and different uh, MOSs and different uh, CMFs, they're going to have different opinions because they're experiencing things differently. Absolutely, and different problem sets and mission sets that go with it, right? So it's how do you mold that the best you can? I mean, if you think about it from a Compo 2 perspective, they get 39 days a year to train. That's it. That's it. So uh, when you look at that, and then, oh, my goodness, if you look at it from an active duty perspective, it's like how is that even possible? But they're getting it done. They're getting it done, but how do, how do we inject – changes that help facilitate that process so yeah from, so from not only from a multi-service from a multi-compo perspective it's it's tough it's a tough problem set but you know that again that's why we're in these positions is, is to, how do we make things better 
Absolutely. Um, all right, Sergeant Major, we're, we're coming uh, close to the end here. Uh, so something we do with all our guests, and sometimes they give us funny ones, sometimes they give us inspirational. We're going to ask you for a couple um, a book recommendations uh, that you have for the listeners. Okay, yeah, so uh, I would say, um, so, let's see here. I would say for the, 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 they're both for subordinate leader levels, I okay. would say. Um, and my first one would be uh, Broken Windows. Um, it was a book actually recommended to me by one of the general officers that, that I had worked for in the past. Um, and it does, it's, a, it's a real good perspective of, you know, we're real good about identifying problems that other people have, but we're not very good about identifying our own. I mean, in a nutshell, that's what that, that pretty much encompasses. It's a good book. And then the second one is What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Um, and, and it's really about you got to grow maturity with your positions. You've got to understand and, and what did you gain, what do you move forward with, and, and what did you use there that you don't necessarily need to move forward with. Um, and there, I will tell you from the team leader through sergeant major at the battalion brigade to the nominative level, that has changed every time. It is, it is something that, that uh, you can tell when people aren't able to figure that out. But if you're able to figure that out and, and have that, that personal intelligence to be able to say, okay, i got to grow, um, you'll be more successful. Because as soon as you have that, 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 that mindset of I've made it, the I've made it mindset, it's time to retire. You're done. You're done maturing. You're done growing with the organization and with the Army. And, and, and really, at that point, you're dead weight. So um, those would be my two recommendations. Well, that lines up perfectly with your tenets I had written down of developing soldiers and leaders. Uh, is be a dynamic leader. You have to be. be willing to change and change with the be. times and with the people. So, well, I appreciate that, and we'll we'll, um, we'll end with the uh, our last question. And you mentioned it several times about being excited to be a soldier in 2023. But what gets you, Sergeant Major Jeremiah Gann, excited um, for the future of this Army? Oh man, that's a tough question. There actually, it's a simple question, but with a tough answer. I would say, with with the progress that senior army leaders have, have taken um, to, to set up the conditions for future success. I mean, you got to take, right? So uh, everything from the promotion of the centralized promotion system uh, to where we, we went by prom from a promotion of attrition, really, right? You've been in the army the longest, you're the number one guy on the list to actually promoting the cream of the crop. We went from one to end. If you're number one, you're number one and number one's going to get promoted first. That in itself is a drastic change to, what we've done through technology and our mode of education and how we're training and, and our learning processes and, and the, the changes that we're making within the, the, the professional military education systems. I mean, it, everything is setting up the individual for success. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, not that we didn't in the past, but I think we're taking a better approach to it going into the future. But th think about it. The United States Army is an organization where you need absolutely no certification or training simply to qualify to join. We give you the tool set to not only be successful in the United States military, but to be successful in whatever discipline that is and wherever you want to take it. With the new retirement system, you get a 401K that the government's going to help on a match basis to, to really set you up for success for life after the military. I mean, the, the new physical fitness approach to where we're not breaking you anymore. We're giving that long-term health and fitness uh, all the way down to the family services that are provided. I mean, there is no other competing with industry organization out there that takes the approach that the United States military does with taking care of families. And, and, and really, it's it's we got to do better on educating the masses on what our benefits that we're bringing forward are. I think we're getting there. 
I know that the, the chief sees it. I know that the SMA sees it. I know that the incoming chief and new incoming SMA see it. I know that we got the right team down there at USAREC that's really going to get after it and, and, and make some drastic changes. But we can't keep doing the same thing we've been doing for the last 40, 45 years and expect the same results. The, the, the people have changed. I mean, in 1985, 74% of the people that graduated high school didn't go to college. Now 79% do. I mean, the cohorts that we're going after alone have changed drastically. So we've got to change our approach. I think we're doing it. Um, it's exciting. Man, I, I think I think those that really do see the value in it and, and that make that decision will be looking back at their 30 years, 30 years later at themselves and saying, man, did, did I nail this? I got this right. And 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 then we just got to do a good job of, you know, every soldier is a recruiter and getting out there and telling the story and, and letting them know, hey, here's your options. And the, the kids don't want to know, you know, be told what, what to do. They want to see what's capable or what they're eligible to do. Um, and it's really having that conversation. Well, that, that was a loaded answer, like you said, Sarmage, but I think it was a very good one. So I appreciate that. No problem. Um, I appreciate you coming in, and, and thanks for being the first uh, senior enlisted leader we had, leading the way for uh, U.S. Army North and the General Planning Podcast. And Sarmage, strength of the nation. You bet. Thanks. Thanks.